Welcome to the Covenant People's Ministry. It is written that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. We invite you to study the scriptures with us, to learn about the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, the holy and anointed Lamb of God, the light of the world, the Savior of mankind. You can contact us with your questions and comments at covenantpeoplesministry.org or call us at 678-692-8870. You can also write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. We look forward to hearing from you, and we pray that these messages of truth touch your lives. If you have been moved by these biblical teachings, please visit our forums online at covenantpeoplesministry.org and sign up to follow us on our YouTube channel, Covenant People. Thank you for joining us for another CPM broadcast. And now, here is our pastor, Jeremy Visser, with our next Bible study. Hello again, dear friends, and thank you for joining me as we begin our look into the book of the minor prophet Malachi. And Malachi is an interesting book in that it is the last book of the Old Testament canon. There are many prophecies pertaining to the return of Christ. Not only the return of Christ, but the spirit of Elijah that will be sent before the great and terrible day of the Lord. And of course that was ultimately fulfilled and John the Baptist. So before we begin looking at the words of this minor prophet, let me give you a summary of this book. Malachi was written about 520 years before Christ was even born. Most theologians agree it was written in Palestine. The author here is undoubtedly Malachi the prophet, because He was one of the three prophets after the exile. And that should tell you when this book was written. But unlike many of the other minor prophets who have no problem coming in and telling you the name of their father, Malachi really, as a minor prophet, is not known. So there is no one person who can come in and tell you Malachi is this or Malachi is that. Frankly, the world does not know who the minor prophet Malachi is. And as a result of that, sadly, it is this minor prophet that is most often, usually, turned into a non-white by the enemies of Christ. All you have to do is do a Google for this book or for the prophet himself and you will see that the enemies of Christendom have no problem trying to turn Malachi into a Negro. But that's simply not the case. In fact, Malachi even begins by proving the differences between people. The differences between the Israelites, that you and I, dear kinsfolk, and the Edomites, which history and they themselves attest to the fact became ultimately known as the Jews. So in beginning our look at this minor prophet, I want you to know that the theme that we're going to be dealing with here are accusations from God against His Israelite people. He will come in and Yahweh will say, you have done this or you have offended me this way. 
And the Israelites usually will retort by saying, well, how did we offend you this way? And God will give that answer. That is why Israel here, you will see, over and over, denies the fact that Yahweh is rightfully accusing them, you and I, of evil. And so, that is why I've chosen to cover this, most likely in about four or five parts. The book of Malachi can be overlaid into our Christian walk today. Not only is it replete with examples of coming prophecy at the time it was written, about 520 B.C., but it also instructs the saints in how we should live. You will see many of these behaviors that Yahweh God accuses the ancient Israelites of is exactly what we are engaging in today. So to begin, in Malachi chapter 1, we read in verse 1, The burden of the word of Yahweh to Israel by Malachi. That, if you will, is his opening. And Malachi does not say, I am son of this particular prophet or son of this Israelite or Judean. But he does tell us who this burden is written to. And burden is merely a polite way of saying a prophecy. But I prefer the term burden because oftentimes as a prophet or a teacher of God's word, we are burdened with the facts of being able to sit and see our people time and time again go after sin. And we know what the outcome is. Therefore, this burden of the word of Yahweh to Israel is by Malachi. That's his authorship. Malachi wrote this book. And again, notice, nobody knows who Malachi is. But if he is to write to the Israelite men, women, and children that it is safe to say that he is an Israelite and or a Judean. Because this book was written post-exile. But more on that later. The burden of the word of Yahweh to Israel by Malachi. This is the last of three minor prophets who begin their book as a burden. The first, of course, we covered earlier this year. That is Nahum. The second would be Habakkuk, which I covered in its entirety in 2008. So Habakkuk, Nahum, and Malachi all say that these prophecies that they are transcribing and have to relay to the Israelites in their time, and even now to us, is a burden. A burden. Bear that in mind. Malachi then continues. God speaking to who? In context the Israelites, he says. I have loved you, saith Yahweh, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Question, saith Yahweh. Yet I loved Jacob, and I hated Esau, and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. Now, so much can be preached right here. But I want to give you a brief overview of Jacob and Esau here. Because notice Yahweh says, I have loved you, Israelite men, women, and children. But the Israelites time and time again will say, wherein hast thou loved us? Therefore, God gives us this allegory, this analogy. And it's an analogy of two brothers, Jacob and Esau. They were twin brothers. 
But one was chosen of Yahweh God, and the other was despised. Here rendered hated of Yahweh God. And so, about this time in this study, you're going to have people come in and say, this is not the mindset of God. It most assuredly is not the God of the New Testament, because after all, God does not hate anyone, right? That is usually the mindset of the Judeo-Christian. But turn with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 9. And we're going to read. The Apostle Paul would quote exactly what it was that we just covered here in the first chapter of Malachi. For example, in Romans chapter 9, Paul goes in to the birthright. He explains about the distinction between the natural and the spiritual Israel. For example, beginning in verse 8 of Romans 9, They which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. But the children of the promise are counted for the seed. The seed of Israel. We must be both spiritually Israelites and physical Israelites. But he continues on, For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come, and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, for the children not being yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God according to the election might stand, not of works, but of him that calleth. It was said unto her, Who? Rebekah, the elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Where is that? That's in Romans chapter 9 verse 13. And as you see, Paul just gave you an overview of these same two brothers. Jacob and Esau. They were twins. And ironically, let me point out here that Isaac loved Esau. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And Rebekah knew that the birthright should go unto Jacob, who later was surnamed Israel after he wrestled with an angel and became known as the man Israel. And his descendants became known as the Israelites. But not so with Esau Edom. Esau Edom, according to Genesis chapter 27, despised his birthright. And didn't count it for glory. Do you understand now why Malachi begins on the premise that it does? And more importantly, do you understand why God in the Old and New Testament hated Esau but loved Jacob? What is quite entertaining to me is how the Judeo-Christian will come in and say, you know what, God is not a respecter of persons. God loves everybody indiscriminately. All your sin is equal in the eyes of Yahweh God. And on the same token, we'll have no problem telling you that Yahweh God chooses these Jews as the apple of His eye. So, I really want you to understand what God's talking about here through His prophet Malachi. Notice, God says in verse 2, Was not Esau Jacob's brother? Jacob and Esau were brothers. In fact, they were twins. So much so that Esau was the firstborn. Jacob was named heel catcher and or supplanter 
because he was born after Esau, his twin brother. But Yahweh God chose Jacob, not the firstborn, not the birthright. And this, you will see, is a theme that continually runs through the Bible. Yahweh God can call who it is that He will call. And oftentimes we, like Isaac, want what we want. But the plan was not for Esau. And in fact, Esau brought much shame to his mother and father. How can I say that? In Genesis chapter 28, I really want you to understand that this hurt Isaac and Rebekah. And so, it hurt Yahweh God. In Genesis chapter 28, we learn in verse 6, When Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Pandanaram to take him a wife from thence, and that as he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, Thou shalt not take a wife of the daughters of Canaan. This is what Isaac told Jacob to do. Do not go and marry a foreign woman. But what happens? Verse 7. And that Jacob obeyed his father and mother and was gone to Pandanaram. And Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael and took unto the wives which he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nabajah, to be his wife. So as time's getting away from me, let me give you a summation of this. Jacob went after the birthright. He held it in high regard. Ultimately, he wrestled for that birthright. And an angel changed his name from Jacob to Israel. And in him and his seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. But not so with his brother. In fact, Esau and Jacob became enemies after the blessing was bestowed onto Jacob in line with prophecy, I might add, due to Rebekah's prodding. But perhaps that's a study for another day. Jacob means supplanter, meaning we took that position. Therefore, we must continue to maintain that position. And ironically, Esau, or Esau Edom, and his descendants, it means red. So that is one of the reasons why Yahweh God hated Esau. He did not like his birthright, and he married non-Israelite women and children in violation of God's law. This brought much shame to Isaac and Rebekah. But that goes without saying. Paul comes along and he quotes it in Romans chapter 9, verse 13. Making it impossible for any Judeo-Christian to come in and say, Yahweh God does not hate. Yahweh hates many things, and in fact, we are instructed to hate the same things that He despises. And one of those things that He hates in Romans and here in Malachi, the second verse, is Esau. Continuing in verse 3, I hated Esau and laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons of the wilderness. This is the will of God, my friend. We must understand that. And this word dragons really means jackals. But either way you look at it, Yahweh God says that Esau will not inherit the same blessings that Israel will. In fact, there was a covenant made with the Ishmaelites and the twelve princes of Ishmael. So one of the things that Yahweh God hates Esau for 
is going and race mixing. Verse 4, here in Malachi chapter 1, continues. Whereas Edom saith, we are impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus saith Yahweh of hosts, they shall build, but I will throw down, and they shall call them the border of wickedness, and the people against whom Yahweh hath indignation forever. Who? The Edomite. The descendants of Esau. And while I'm teaching this, do not lose sight of the fact that Jacob and Esau are brothers. Tares and wheat look identical. In fact, if you were to see Jacob and Esau or the Israelites and the Edomites, they would look very similar. But more on that as well as we progress through this study. Because in order for Paul to quote Malachi chapter 1 verse 3, in Romans chapter 9, that makes it imperative to the Christian study. Now, the 12 minor prophets goes without saying that if we don't study anything else from the Old Testament, at least let it be one of the minor prophets, if not all 12 of them. But Paul, in quoting this, proves its validity. And it also proves that your modern preacher who comes in and says God does not hate anything is a liar. Because Edom and the Edomites are the people against whom Yahweh hath indignation or wrath, hatred, forever. Forever. From this time, 500 years before Christ was even born until this day. And many people are going to come in and say, oh, the Edomites don't exist. Really? Well, if that's your belief, I invite you to tune in every month to Yahweh's truth with me and Dr. James P. Wickstrom, where we prove over and over and over that the Jews have no problem in saying they are the descendants of Esau-Edom. Esau-Edom is meant to be the border of wickedness, and they still are unto this day. But they are brothers, and we mustn't lose sight of that. Continuing on. Verse 5 in Malachi chapter 1. Your eyes shall see, and ye shall say, Yahweh will be magnified from the border of Israel. From where? From the border of Israel, not from the border of Edom. And what Malachi is wanting you to understand in coming out the gate and beginning his book, is there is a difference between the Israelite and the Edomite. The Israelite offspring are the children of the promise. But the Edomite offspring are the people by which Yahweh has indignation forever. Meaning they are non-covenant people. Therefore, Malachi begins by establishing his book is for the Israelites. And considering it ends on the note, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahweh. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Should be proof enough that there are Messianic prophecies given within this. But, it deals with Israelites. And the Israelites were they, for 500 years after this was written, looking forward to that great and terrible day. Looking forward to Elijah the prophet. 
And of course, you know as well as I do, this was ultimately fulfilled in John the Baptist, the spirit of Elijah. But it is written in context to the Israelites, both Judah and Israel, the northern and southern tribes. Therefore, Malachi can continue to talk about the sins of Israel. And notice that he puts these sins at the hands of the priest because they despise the name of Yahweh. There truly is no new thing under the sun, right? Notice that in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Your eyes shall see, and Yahweh will be magnified, but from the border of Israel. And then Malachi proceeds to chastise the Israelites for their own sin. Now this is very important, because the law and the statutes was given only to Israel. Therefore, only Israelites will be judged because only Israelites can truly sin. Being that all sin is a transgression of God's law, according to John in the New Testament. Therefore, Malachi continues in chapter 1, but verse 6, he says, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master... Where's my fear and or reverence? Let me remind you that Yahshua taught that the servant is not above their master. And a modern way of thinking we are above our master as servants is to come in and say that the Canaanite, the Edomite, these non-Israelite people are able to come in under the covenant. Remember that even Yahshua, as he walked, said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. It was the Israelites, both Judean and Israel, who were looking forward to the coming Messiah. And partially due to the fact that Malachi instructed them, the spirit of Elijah would be sent. But here God says, a son honors his father, and a servant his master. If I be a father, notice, not a God, not a deity, but a father to the Israelites. Yahweh asks, where is mine honor? Do we honor Yahweh God as a society? Do you turn on the television? For example, during the current Olympic Games and see Yahweh's name magnified? Of course you won't from the other nations. Malachi says they will not. But do the Israelites? Well, our eyes are supposed to see. And we are supposed to be the people who say, Yahweh will be magnified from the border of Israel. Not necessarily that landmass, but the people who are supposed to sing forth His glory and show His praise among the heathen. Well, Malachi is saying we failed to do that. Yahweh asks, if I be a master, where is my fear? How come I'm not being reverenced as a master by my supposed servant, Israel? Then he continues, saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priest that despise my name, and ye say, wherein have we despised thy name? Isn't it ironic? Two times now. Yahweh God comes in through the prophet Malachi and says, you Israelites have done this, and the Israelites only retort is, well, how did we do that? Does this not remind you of Yahshua's parable of the sheep and the goats? Where 
He casts the goats out and says, depart from me, I never knew you. And they say, when did we not feed you? When did we not welcome you in? When did we cast you out of our company? And Yahshua would say, in so much that you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. So where is the fear of Yahweh God within the land? Where is our reverence for that sacred and holy name? As we continue to go into this era of enlightenment, this information age, it never ceases to amaze me how we seemingly get more stupid. We cannot cling to the simplicity that is in God's Word. Suddenly we have to believe that the earth is shaped like a donut. Suddenly we have to believe that all Israel is saved when we are told that only a remnant shall escape amongst the Israelites in Judgment Day. So, Yahweh God says to the priests of Israel, you despise my name. And their answer is, wherein or how exactly do we despise your name? God is about to answer it. Yahweh God says, one of the ways of despising His sacred name that I might add is meant to be memorialized forever is through wrongful sin offerings. Why is this important? Because we know that Yahshua would fulfill the statutes and the ordinances pertaining to the law that was given on Sinai. That He would, for one and all time, lay down His life willfully for the remission of sins for who? His people Israel. But here, God is saying, the priests defile My name. And then God continues. Yahweh says in verse 7, Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar. Stopping right there. If the famine in the end times is not for literal bread, but for the Word of God. If Jesus Christ told Satan in the wilderness that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God, then what is this so-called polluted bread? Could it be perverted dogma? Priests who come in and lie instead of feeding their sheep because they don't love the people? Well, let's continue reading. Ye offer polluted bread upon mine altar, and ye say, Wherein have we polluted thee? In that ye say, The table of Yahweh is contemptible. And if ye offer the blind for a sacrifice, is it not evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil as well? Offer it now unto thy governor. He will be pleased with thee, or accept thy person. Question, saith the Lord of hosts. So understand this. Time and time again, this is the way of the false prophet. And the genuine false prophet, if there is such a thing, will be found amongst the ranks of the Israelite people. Just as Malachi is a genuine prophet, his job was to turn away his own people from the false prophets here rendered priests of his era 500 years before Yahshua came. Meaning, for 500 years, a majority of our people wondered about these prophecies. They would go into the temple, they would hear it espoused, people would preach from this book of Malachi, and they fully did not understand certain statements. But what we're dealing with here is not prophecy. This is a rebuke of Yahweh God against our own priests. 
And he says that they polluted the bread upon his own altar, meaning the sacrifices that our priests of old made were unacceptable. And I might interject, they were always unacceptable because they were unfulfilled and incomplete. Without Christ, there is no sin atonement. There is no purging of sin or cleansing with the blood. So, Yahweh continues through Malachi in verse 9. And now, I pray you, beseech God that He will be gracious unto us. This has been by your means. He will regard your person, saith Yahweh of hosts. No, of course He won't. Yahweh God is not a respecter of persons. If He was, judgment would not begin at the house of the Lord. Quote, unquote. And that's what we just read, right? The sins of Israel, first and foremost, according to the first chapter of Malachi, are laid at the feet of the priests. Because they offer polluted bread upon mine altar. A polite way of saying, they lie behind the pulpit in this modern era, to paraphrase. But I want you to understand that the Edomite still does this. And that's why it begins on this note. Malachi chapter 1 structure is basically that. The authorship and salutation is Malachi saying, I am writing to the Israelites because the Edomites I despise. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship, be sure to write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. Or give us a call at 678-692-8870. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.org, where you will find direct access to our extensive selection of audio sermons. You can also listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast on your mobile audio devices. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, please make your checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry or use the donate button on our website to use PayPal. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all and is an all that have been renewed in His Holy Spirit. So we hope that you will allow Him to lead your life and help to build His church so that when he returns, he will find faith upon this earth. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply his words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message. Then, beginning in verse 6, he proceeds to talk about the sins of the Israelites and says that Yahweh God is angry with the priests for causing Israel to sin and to go into apostasy. And finally, verse 9 says, And now, I pray you, beseech God that He will be gracious unto us, Malachi speaking. Will He regard your person, saith the Lord of hosts? Then, verse 10, Who is there even among you that would shut the doors for naught? Neither do ye kindle fire on mine altar for naught. I have no pleasure in you, saith Yahweh of hosts. Neither will I accept an offering at your hand. Wow. Powerful statement, huh? Because for 500 years, the Israelites had to read that. And basically know 
that even if they were to make a sacrifice for sin under the Mosaic law, it was incomplete. God says, I have no pleasure in you, Israelite, priest, false prophet, and the majority of us who sin. And neither will I accept an offering at your hand. Why is that? Well, let me interject a few things right here that should hopefully give you a little bit of clarity pertaining to this. The sins of Israel are technically outlined throughout all of Scripture. But Jacob was loved, being the Israelites. He was chosen. Esau was hated of Yahweh God. Right? So I'm going to turn very quickly to the book of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 49, we read in verse 7, Concerning Edom, stopping right there, what Jeremiah is about to say concerns Esau, Edom. The other half of what we're discussing today. Malachi, and by extension, all the prophecies of the minor prophets were given to the Israelites, whether they be Judean or from the ten northern tribes. But here in Jeremiah, God speaks concerning Esau, Edom. In chapter 49, verse 7, Concerning Edom, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Is wisdom no more in Timon? Is counsel perish from the prudent? Is their wisdom vanished? Flee ye, turn back, dwell deep, O inhabitants of Dedan, for I will bring the calamity of Esau upon him, the time that I will visit him. If grape gatherers come to thee, would they not leave some gleaning grapes? If thieves by night, they will destroy till they had enough. But I have made Esau bear. I have uncovered his secret places, and he shall not be able to hide himself. His seed is spoiled, and his brethren, and his neighbors, and he is not. Who? Esau, Edom. God has indignation against the Edomites forever, right? We proved that, but that's your second witness there in Jeremiah. To the fact that God loved Jacob and hated Esau. Well, he loved Jacob, and that, of course, we proved was quoted by Paul in Romans chapter 9, verse 13. But he hated Esau. Hate here is used as an idiom of preference. It's not a term expressing personal malice or jealousy in the same way that Yahweh God is jealous over the Israelites because God doesn't love Esau. He hates him. Therefore, we learn that he is meant to be the child of indignation. And this is the sixth of twelve cases in Scripture where God made the choice of the younger over the older brother. Why is that important? Because the law says that the birthright usually always goes to the firstborn son. But not so in this case. Not so in the case of Esau Edom. And many of your modern preachers will come in and say, Jacob was a trickster. And he stole the birthright. But remember, the prophecy given was that the elder shall serve the younger. Rebecca understood that. What can we learn from the narrative of Jacob and Esau? That if Isaac had his way, he would have bestowed the birthright onto Esau. But Rebecca knew better. Because Yahweh God spoke to Rebecca. And through turn of events, the birthright went on to Jacob. And Esau to this day, is still a prick within our side. 
So God says all of this. These are the sins of Israel. They despise the name of God. The sins of the priests are that they offer polluted bread. Meaning that the Israelites were not being fed even 500 years before Yahshua was born. Then Yahweh goes into His millennial purpose. I bet many people listening to this are not aware of the fact that God has a purpose for the millennium. And it is pure religion. In fact, I proved this in my current sermon, Prophecies of Return. One of the reasons that Yahweh God returns in fire, anger, wrath, and jealousy is so that we could be turned unto one accord and a pure language. Therefore, in the book of the minor prophet Malachi, chapter 1, we continue reading in verse 11. For from the rising of the sun, even unto the going down of the same, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the heathen, saith Yahweh of hosts. Very powerful statement, my friend. Because Yahweh God is basically talking about the millennial purpose. A universal pure religion. And this does not happen until the return of Christ. And another thing you should notice is right here in verse 11, the word son is lowercase. It is not capitalized and it is not personified as Malachi does in his fourth chapter where we read in verse 2, Unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings and he shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. That is a promise of salvation to the righteous Israelite man, woman, or child. But what we need to understand is that Son is personified, capitalized. So much so, that if we fear the name of Yahweh God, that same Son of Righteousness will arise with healing in His wings. Not its wings. His wings. So there is a difference between this Son that is mentioned in verse 11 of chapter 1, and the Son of Righteousness, referenced in Malachi 4, verse 2. And of course, we're going to look at the Son of Righteousness in depth when we get to that. But here, God is saying, from the rising of the sun until the going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. And we live in an era where, sadly, the Israelites despise His name, and they despise His law, and the Gentiles more or less do. More so than us, if we come in and say, you know what, we're the Israelites, we get told we're hate groups. Not so with the Jew. The Jew can say anything that they desire. So, God tells us the difference. Why is it here that His name will be great among the Gentiles? And during the great and terrible day of the Lord, the kingdom, when it is established, that incense will be offered unto His name as a pure offering, and notice, His name shall be great among the heathen. So just as I pointed out, if Yahweh God says that He hates Esau, here we are told that His name is extremely important, is it not? And in context, during the millennium, during the time that Yahshua is away from us, before the second advent, notice the name is used. 
from the rising of the sun until the going down of the same. Meaning, from morning until sunset. My name shall be great among the Gentiles, number one. And in every place incense shall be offered unto my name, number two. A pure offering. For my name, number three, shall be great among the heathen. Three times in verse 11, we're reminded of the name. And if you walk into a modern church and say, what is the name of God? Nine times out of ten, they will say, well, He has no name. Or they'll give you an erroneous name like Jehovah. Or they'll simply say His name is Lord or God, which are technically titles. Does it not make a little more sense as to why the sins of Israel are laid at the feet of the priests? Where we're told that the priests despise His name. In verse 6, indeed it does. And so, the point I'm trying to make with this is that we as the Israelites have power within the name. Because we're reminded that there is power within the name, but that name is forgotten in this latter era. And that name, of course, is Yahweh. Why is Yahweh's name considered great among the heathen or the Gentiles and not the covenant people? Remember, whether we're dealing with Gentile or Israelite, we're dealing with white people, Adamites, all the descendants of Adam, because of hypocrisy and their corrupt offerings to God. Now, under the New Covenant, we do not go out and burn with fire lambs and turtle doves to make a sin atonement. But a way that we can bring corrupt offerings to God is not serving them in spirit and truth. Coming in and saying, I don't know, Praying over your pork dinner. <laughs> That's a corrupt offering or a sacrifice made unto God. But the most surefire way of making a corrupt offering to Yahweh God is not making an offering. Remember that an offering, by its very definition, denotes a sacrifice. And a majority of our people, of our race, never make a sacrifice for Yahweh God. So, beginning in verse 12, here of Malachi chapter 1. But ye have profaned it, in that ye say, The table of Yahweh is polluted, and the fruit thereof, His meat is contemptible. His meat is contemptible. How many people have you met in life of our own racial ilk that have come in and said, You know what? I don't want to follow the law of God. It's too much of a burden. He requires too much of me. But what's ironic about this is God's law is summed up in the Pentateuch. couple books, five. Have you ever been to a courthouse and seen how many books of man there are? How many laws they have on the books? And they have the audacity, man, to come in and call Yahweh God oppressive through His law of 600 some odd laws. When man makes thousands, if not monthly, to burden you and to keep you in subjection. But we, or ye have profaned it, in that ye say the table of Yahweh is polluted. Now one would think that the priests would have acceptable tables with clean, good clothes on them. But they became careless and acted as if any kind of service was good enough for God. Thus, the tables and the fruit and the meat thereof all became contemptible as well. Meaning Yahweh God is not satisfied with their offering. Is there anything different to that today? 
when we walk into a modern church and they say, well, God accepts you just as you are. How do they know? Unless they're going to the Word of God to see what manner of man is acceptable with Yahweh God and what manner of man is not. Now, even me saying that is going to get people to send me some hate mail. Even though Malachi begins on the premise that he loved Jacob or the Israelites and hated Esau or the Edomites, there's still going to be people who find this hard to understand. And they, I might add, are those that listen usually to these polluted, defiled priests. Notice, one of the keys that is told here is this. Ye have profaned it, in that ye say, the table of Yahweh is polluted, and the fruit thereof, it's contemptible. Ye said also, behold, what a weariness is it. And ye have snuffed at it, saith Yahweh of hosts. And ye brought that which was torn, and lame, and the sick. Thus ye brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith Yahweh? Should he? Of course he should And it was no different in the times of Yahshua. When Yahshua made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem, he had no problem going to the temple of Jerusalem and overturning the tables of the money changers because they were selling mite-infested doves, meaning that religion wasn't out of a pure heart anymore. It was out of duty. Obligatory sacrifices, my friend, And that is what Malachi is discussing here in chapter 1. If we as the Israelites are to serve Yahweh God, we cannot serve Him begrudgingly. That was the difference between Jacob and Esau. Jacob desired the birthright. So much he would fight for it. But Esau despised it. Didn't care. No more than these priests care. That is why these two classes of men are contrasted. We are the Israelites, but the Jew also says that ancient Esau Edom became modern Jewry. So these two are still separate. These two brothers, quote-unquote, are still warring for the favor of Yahweh God. And God has no favor for either unless we serve Him in truth. Unless we make a sacrifice or an offering that is acceptable Notice in Malachi 1 verse 13, God says, should I accept this of your hand? Should I? It's a question. But all of this that we discussed, that these priests were doing at the time of Malachi, was contrary to the law of God. And that demanded the best, the most perfect of animals for sacrifice. You can read this in Leviticus chapter 1 verse 3 or Leviticus chapter 5 verse 15. Deuteronomy goes into that. So when God demands that we give Him the firstlings of our flock, (laughs) you better give Him the firstlings. When God demands that the older shall serve the younger, that He loves Jacob and hates Esau, we as the faithful better accept that fact. And not only just accept it, that Yahweh God hates this particular people and has indignation, or hatred against them forever. But we better try very hard to identify who the modern Edomite is. They had a problem even back then so much that Malachi, this unknown prophet, had to come in and break down. These are the children of the covenant, the heirs of the promise, and these are the children 
or the people against whom Yahweh hath indignation forever. Chapter 1, verse 4, right? So, do not forget this aspect. God doesn't have to accept it because it's not an acceptable sacrifice. And we live in an era where men and women never make sacrifices for Yahweh God at all. And the easiest way to do that is to go to the Word of God and see what we're called to do. How we're called to make a sacrifice. If it's clothing the naked or feeding the hungry or observing the golden rule, what Yahshua taught 500 years from the writing of Malachi was no different than what Malachi says. Notice Malachi doesn't say they're not offering sin atonement. They're not giving sin offerings. He says that they're doing it but that they're polluted at the same time that they're doing it. So, final verse for this particular study. And the final verse in Malachi chapter 1. That is verse 14. Yahweh continues through Malachi by saying, But cursed be the deceiver. Stopping right there. Cursed be the deceiver. That is the mindset of God. Right here. You can bank your salvation on that. Knowing that Yahweh God not only holds the deceiver as an enemy, but is cursing them and will curse them. If we are to follow the pattern of our Heavenly Father, then we also need to start cursing the deceiver. And I'm not talking literal here, just de facto Satan. But it's Esau, Edomite children. If they come in and they deceive, then curse them, my friend. But verse 14 says, in its entirety, Cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male, and voweth, and sacrifices unto the Lord a corrupt thing. For I am a great king, saith Yahweh of hosts, and my name is dreadful among the heathen. Dreadful among the heathen, or the Gentiles. Remember that in verse 11 of this same chapter, Malachi 1, we're told that his name shall be great among the Gentiles. And that for my name shall be great among the heathen. So also are we reminded that Yahweh of hosts is a great king. And that that name is dreadful among the heathen. Remember also in verse 6 he says, If I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master... Where is my fear? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of instruction, knowledge, understanding, many things. But Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, the fear of Yahweh and His name is the whole duty of man. What we learn today in this first part of our look at Malachi the Minor Prophet is that God puts a difference between the covenant people and the non-covenant people. There is a difference between those that serve Yahweh God and those that simply just know His name being Gentiles. And the fact that the Gentiles, for the most part, do not know the deeper things of Yahweh God, they do not know His name right now, but will during the millennium, is because we failed. Many men and women come in and say, you know what, being an Israelite is the greatest thing. That's all we need to be. All Israel saved again when even a remnant is saved of Israel, but not all Israel is. Notice that God says their corrupt offerings is hypocrisy. 
And I can prove that from Isaiah. In closing, we're going to take a look at the first chapter of Isaiah, which really drives home exactly what we covered in this first chapter, at least I believe. In Isaiah chapter 1, verse 10, we learn, Hear the word of Yahweh, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear unto the law of our God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me, saith Yahweh? I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed beasts, and I delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs or of he goats. When ye come to appear before me, who hath required this at your hand to tread my courts? Bring no more vain oblations. Incense is an abomination unto me. The new moons and Sabbaths, the calling of assemblies, I cannot away with. It is iniquity, even the solemn meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul, hateth, just like Esau Edom. Notice right here, God is saying He hates our traditions that center around it. God would rather be around an Israelite that serves Him of a pure spirit than us going out annually during the tabernacles, Pentecost, or Passover to make an offering for sin. God says here in the first chapter of the major prophet Isaiah, He has no delight in our new moons, in our appointed feasts. In fact, He says He hates them. And verse 14 continues, They are a trouble unto me. I am weary to bear them. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Your hands are full of blood. Esau and Jacob were enemies. But remember, we as the Israelites can make ourselves an enemy, and more than just an enemy, a stranger of Yahweh God. Once again, let me stress, that in Yahshua's parable of the goats, he tells those goats on his left hand side, depart from me, I never knew you. And here we learn what? That Yahweh God is weary to bear our new moons, our appointed feasts, and when we spread forth our hands, he will hide his eyes, and when we make many prayers, I will not hear. If Yahweh God does not hear our prayers, then it stands to reason that the goats, once again, just like the sheep, are the Israelite men, women, and children. It shouldn't take me to point out that under the Mosaic Law, there was something called a scapegoat. And it also was meant to be the chiefest goat among the Israelite flock. And all the Israelites would put their hand upon that goat and they would send it out into the wilderness for what? A sin atonement. They would cast it out of their company, just as Yahshua cast the goats away from him, and he says, I never knew you. But they retort by saying, did we not do marvelous deeds? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not pray to you every single night? And here in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 15, we learn, Yea, when ye make many prayers, I will not hear. And when ye spread forth your hands, I will hide mine eyes from you. When you set forth to do a work for God or man, Yahweh will not prosper it. Why? Well, this is hypocrisy that we're dealing with here at the beginning of Isaiah chapter 1. And it is the same reference point in time that we're dealing with here in Malachi. The hypocrisy in corrupt offerings to Yahweh God. 
And so it stands here, also in Amos chapter 5, verse 21. And we'll end there. Amos chapter 5, verse 21 says, I hate, I despise your feast days. I will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though ye offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beast. Take thou away from me the noise of thy songs, for I will not hear the melody of thy viols or thy violins. But let judgment run down as waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. And if you continue reading here in Amos chapter 5, you'll see that we as the Israelites offered unto God sacrifices and offerings and they were polluted as well. It was all done so obligatorily. God wants us to serve Him because we love Him. Not because we want to go to heaven, but because we know Him and know that His hands will lead us into the path He'll have for us, right? But as soon as we take our eyes off of Yahweh God and listen to a false priest, He'll take His eyes off of us, will He not? Yahweh God is a great King. Remember that He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of gods. Those are all titles for Yahshua Messiah. And when He returns, His name will be restored to its former glory. But you don't have to wait, my friend, until Christ returns. You don't have to wait until the second advent to learn the power of the name. If you learn that name, my friend, you have the power to pick up scorpions, serpents. You have the power to cast demons away from you. And Esau Edom knows that if you don't know the true undefiled name of Yahweh God, you cannot make an offering that is undefiled. So, very important study today. And I hope that you will join me once again for our second look and our continuation into this book of the minor prophet Malachi. If you have any questions, feel free to contact me. The email address and mailing address will be given here in about one minute. I would like to thank the few men, women, and children that support my ministry and make my preaching possible for a whole new generation. I simply could not do it without your help. Therefore, until next time, this is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, and the Covenant People's Church. Wishing you and your entire family great studies. Join me next time. War for Christ. Amen. Covenant People's Ministry. Thank you for listening to this message. We hope that you have enjoyed studying with us. Remember the words that Christ has given. That wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. We hope that you will gather together with us at the online ministry's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.org, and share your Christian testimonies, or ask questions, and enjoy biblical fellowship. You can also order CDs of Pastor Visser's Bible study lessons, and enjoy many other Christian resources through the church's website. If you would like to write to us, send your comments and queries to Covenant People's Ministry, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205, or reach us by telephone at 678-692-8870. We thank you for your prayers and offerings, 
and we pray that all of you have been touched by these messages and continue to share the words of the gospel with your friends and family. Thanks again, and may the love of Christ abide in you and yours forever and ever. Amen.